Dios, it is so good to be able to gather together and worship with each of you tonight. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, my name is Lindsay Jacoby. I get to serve on staff here at Kairos. And we want to continue worshiping by reading God's word. Uh, we believe that God has already spoken through it. And so we want to turn our attention to what he has already spoken to us. So we are continuing in our series tonight called Follow Me as I Follow Jesus. So we'll be continuing in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to find your place there in God's word, before we do that, I'll invite you to go to the Lord in prayer with me. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 20 through the end of the chapter. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they just breed quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jacoby. I'll say bless the Lord if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos and Chris. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, six foot high five. Good to see you. Thanks for carving out space and time to be attentive to the God who is and was and is to come. Um, I was talking to a buddy the other day, David Hanna. He's one of our campus pastors at the church at Lachlan Springs. Um, I need to get him in here so you guys can hear from him. Great guy. He was just celebrating the fact that as soon as it hits October 1st, he feels like he has nothing but happy months left. I think all of us are ready to put 2020 in the rear view, but he just said, come October 1st, my house will always be decorated. You go straight to Halloween, into Thanksgiving, and into Christmas. And he's the one I said, quanto basta, how much is enough? And he said, great, thanks, Chris, for abusing that. But um, I was realizing um, a, a lot has changed, and um, there's, there's some things Jacoby just talked about in the last sentence of our text that hopefully God would grant them the gift of repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth. God's granted me the gift of repentance when it comes to this pandemic. I realized, looking back on some of my behaviors, I was probably the opposite of what you would call a germaphobe. I don't know what you would call that. I would say stupid things like, why do you need to wash your hands before you eat? It just boosts your immune system. 
Like, the reason you're so sick is you haven't introduced enough, like, viruses in your body. Again, I'm publicly repenting of that, okay? Stupid things, okay? I think there's a fine line between being funny and being stupid, and I fall off on either side a lot of times. So I was also reminded um, a lot of times when I would travel for school or go to conferences, uh, I have a little bit of a hard time paying attention for sustained periods of time. And so I drink copious amounts of coffee when I do that. And especially when it's really hard, I put cream in my coffee. Now, I want Jacoby to think I'm a man, so I drink black coffee six days a week, okay? Because that's what I do on the Sabbath. I put cream in it because God is good. And I'm like, I don't care as dumb as it is. Like, if you tell me this creamer is going to make it taste like Cinnabon, I'm in. Um, like I walked through the aisle one time and I saw uh, Thin Mint Girl Scout cookie cream and I maybe hoarded all of it and said, none of you will get your hands on this. And so uh, a lot of times when I'm at class or in conferences, I grab coffee, put the creamer in, sit down and then realize, my wife can attest to this, I never grab napkins or utensils. It's just does not exist in my brain. So I sit down and realize, ooh, that delightful cream is not fully completed and integrated into the life of my coffee. So what I would do is I've done this on multiple occasions. And again, this is a public confession and repentance. I reach into my book bag, grab one of my pens, and I stir my coffee. Because, I mean, it's basically a stirrer, right? And then when I'm done, I'll tap it two times, and then I would put it in my mouth and lick it off. And then when I would go to write with the pen, I couldn't figure out why the paper was coffee stained and it wasn't working properly. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, you stupid pen? He's like, what's wrong with you, you stupid owner? And I feel like if this pen could say anything, he's like, hey, Chris, that's not what I was created for, okay? That is not how to use me. In a sense, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy here in this text. Hey, you were set apart to play a part. There are honorable and dishonorable uses for your calling, for your priesthood, and for your Christianity. So make sure that you're set apart to play the part that God has for you. So we're in a series called Follow Me As I Follow Jesus. And I just need to affirm you guys from God's word that each and every one of you in here bears the image of God. And as a child of God, you need to know this. You've been set apart to play a part. Now here's the problem. A lot of us live into the lie too many times. And that is, I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, I'm not useful or usable. You don't know what I've done or I haven't done enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not wise enough. And I feel like the Lord just wants to say, no, 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 Ephesians 2.10. You're my workmanship, you're my masterpiece. You are the lyrics of the song that I wrote in all eternity and I have prepared good works in advance for you to walk into. You have passion and you have purpose in the eyes of God. You are useful and usable. You are set apart to play a part. And if we don't live into this truth, here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to blind you from that, think that your life has no passion or purpose, that all of it is meaningless, and here's what will happen. You will devour yourself into this shell that's irritable, miserable, constantly on the guard against being taken advantage of and you will go looking after any single fight that threatens any whiff of your freedom or protection of your fragile ego. But if we realize, we can put our chin up and our shoulders back and I'm a child of God and I have the authority and power underneath the protection and provision of my father through the blood of Jesus, I can lock eyes and go, hey, I'm set apart to play a part and that's not a part I'm playing anymore. 
Because I'm not living into the lie, I'm living into the truth of who I am and whose I am. So this is what Paul's gonna walk Timothy through, and I just would love to walk through these verses. Again, we're in a series called Follow Me As I Follow Jesus. We're going through 2 Timothy. It's taken us like nine years to get through chapter two. Don't worry, by 2021, I promise we'll finish, okay? And we're just trying to pick the bone clean of every little bit of meat that Paul has for us in our identity in Christ and our life lived in obedience. So just as a reminder, there is one message. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He has made a way for that. The mission is one. We make disciples that make disciples. We apprentice ourselves to Jesus. We learn to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. We're job shadowing Jesus. We look at his characters and his competencies in scripture and we don't go, oh, that's awesome for Jesus. We go, oh, that's my big brother and I can do things like him. We're making disciples that make disciples because at the end of the day, that's the only thing Jesus is counting. That all of us have been set apart to play a part in making disciples that make disciples. All of us have individual gifts, stories, personalities, habits, hangups, all of which God wants to put in the stew for all of us to join together to invite people outside of the four walls of the church into a spiritual friendship with those who believe and have yet to believe to apprentice ourselves to the life and teachings of Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus and will follow him together. So Paul picks up on this and he's talking to Timothy, a small group leader in the town of Ephesus, and he says, hey, remember this, Timothy? In a Greco-Roman household, there are two types of containers, honorable and dishonorable. Hey, some hold water and wine for hydration and hospitality. Woo, honorable. Some are dishonorable. Wink, wink, nod, nod. We all know what he's talking about. Actually, we don't. What he is, he's talking about, there are containers in a Greco-Roman household that are trash cans and bedpans. Some for noble uses, some for, eh, we don't really talk about that, okay? And that's what he's saying to the Christians. Hey, watch out. You have been set apart to play a part, and some of you are being used for dishonorable means. So this is in a sense, we had some guests over our house last night. Well, what you don't do is get chips and queso and guacamole and dump it in the trash can and go dig in, guys. You're gonna love it. I, I don't take a two liter of Coke and dump it into the toilet bowl and start handing out cups to my kids' friends. Maybe I might be tempted to do that, but they're gonna look at me like, you're weird, pastor, and an idiot, and I'm not coming back again. Conversely, you, you, <laughs> You would not pee in your kid's lemonade container, right? And go, <laughs> drink up. And my wife is like, stop it, Chris. You're just being juvenile and adolescent, okay? Well, maybe what Paul is saying is that it's time for us to grow up in the faith and he's sick and tired of Christians cross-contaminating themselves with the way they're living their life. When we would never do this to host a party, why are we living our life behind closed doors this way? So here's my question for you. Where are you consistently contaminating yourself? What do you need to purge? Where do you need the gospel and the blood of Jesus to purify you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? What he does is go on and says, hey, look, th these are special vessels, containers that are set apart to play a part. And in the household, they are usable and they are useful. So what does it look like for us to be usable and useful 
as Christians who make disciples who make disciples. Well, verse 21 says, anyone who purges and purifies themselves from anything dishonorable. That's your first step in being usable uh, when God's looking. Usable means you partner with God's purifying power for anything that hinders or halts the full love of God coming into you and going out of you. That was a mouthful. Here's uh, what I will often say sometimes when I'm praying for someone who feels distant from God or struggling with a certain type of sin um, or has a presenting issue. I'll ask them, hey, is anything hindering you from receiving the full love of God right now? And you'll be surprised what pops up. Immediately they know. All right, good, let's address that. I'm glad we're getting to the core of what's happening. So we want to be usable. We have to make sure that we partner with God's purifying power. Now, when he goes on, he's going to say he's specifically going to warn us about the cross-contamination of youthful passion, which, by the way, sounds like the Hillsong Junior High Band. But anyway, it's youthful passion or youthful lust. And it's got two steps here. Paul says, all right, hey, guys, look at me. If you're struggling with youthful desires and passions, I need two things from you. Flee and follow. Flee and follow. Immediately flee that and then turn around and follow Jesus and pursue his righteousness, his love, his faith, and things that you were actually set apart to play a part. These things are trying to contaminate the holy desires that God has given you with short-term satisfaction but long-term addiction. So you need to flee those youthful passions. Well, what does he mean when he says youthful passions? Exactly what you think he means, okay? He's talking about sex. He is saying, and then here it is about uncontrolled or unrestrained sexual desire, all right? We crystal clear on that? Now, some of you, especially older people like me who've got kids, you're like, preach on, preacher. Because I got some kids that need to hear that message. Boy, they can't contain them sexual desires, man. I see what they're posting. I see what they're talking. I see what they're wearing. I see how my son's looking at so-and-so. You need to flee that, right, and follow Jesus. I get it. Great. Let me just broaden the umbrella just a little bit to make sure we're all under the full reign of conviction. It also includes... Self-indulgence in every form, self-aggrandizing behavior, and selfish ambition that has not been submitted or surrendered to the reign of Jesus. Guilty. Ooh. The way that we talk about it here sometimes is, is the way Jesus was tempted. We all are tempted with appetite, ambition, and approval issues. And that we need to flee meeting those in ungodly ways and run to the Father, as Boggs was talking about before, which, by the way, when you start running to the Father, all that does is determine your head-on collision will happen quicker because he's already running to you. So you got to flee, and you got to follow. Now, this is, first of all, we always talk about young Timothy. By the way, I was reading, some scholars agree that he's probably in his 30s. So he's telling a 30-year-old preacher in a town, leading a small group, hey, flee youthful passions. Why? Because they don't stop when you get older. So stop believing that lie. Those of you who are in your teens and your 20s, hey, this will magically disappear when this, this, or this happens. It does not. And the best way to deal with it is deal with it now. Because what God is always after is your character. And he wants to form you and shape you in something usable and useful to remind you that you are set apart to play a part. And I can tell you after the past month and a half of the conversations that I'm having with people in my age demographic, I'm watching marriages get tanked, jobs get ruined, and relationships go sideways. Why? Because dudes are 40 years old acting like 14-year-olds. And what God wants to do is he wants to grow us up in Christ. He wants to mature us in the faith so that we can flee youthful passions and desires 
and pursue faith, love, peace in the name of Christ. I don't know about you, but are you aware when your emotional toddler stands up inside of you and goes, I don't wanna, that's not fair. How come so-and-so got that and I don't get any of it? I think all of us have to deal with that. I think there's a place in each and every one of us that has to flee those youthful passions and desires that legitimately in prayer wants to hold our breath until God gives us what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And that someone has the courage and the audacity to stand up as a young man or a young woman and says, I surrender all. The timing and my desires to your good and your perfect and your holy plan. How could you possibly do that? Because you know this, you've been set apart to play a part. So flee and follow. And then I just want to add this on because this is in the verse that sometimes I read uh, real quickly by and then I think the Holy Spirit glued my eyeballs to it. You cannot and will not be able to flee and follow Jesus until you find community. Are you friends with people who are friends with Jesus? Because you catch that in verse 23. Follow Jesus in his righteousness by pursuing faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Who are you along with those people that are praying and pursuing Jesus? One sociologist says this, your life is a composite of your five closest relationships. Have you chosen them wisely? So the question I have for you is, have you found community? Who are you along with those? Who comes beside you to equip and encourage and keep you accountable so that you can flee and follow Jesus because you've been set apart to play a part? And by the way, just so we're clear here, uh, purity is not the purpose. It's the byproduct. We want to live on passion and on mission with God. And so we're making sure nothing contaminates that. Remember last week, Jesus saves. Jesus saves us from sin. Jesus saves us for right living and Jesus saves the best for last. Too many of us are stuck and just going, I just wanna be saved from sin. I really haven't done anything wrong. Great, you've done nothing with your life. He's not only saved you from sin, he saved you for right living and a mission that you were set apart to play a part, to bring your unique story, your gifts, your vulnerabilities, even your sin in a redemptive way that God's gonna set the world on fire in and through you, but he'll never do it to you alone. It's gotta be along with those. So verse 24, we've got the fact that that's how we become usable. Now, how do we become useful, Right? talking to the Spillman brothers beforehand, and they're like stud athletes, and you're like, I, I remember that desire. Hey, put me in, coach. Great, you're eligible. Now that I'm on the field, am I really actually useful or usable in any way? No, get Brooks back out of the game, okay? In the kingdom of God, man, all of us are to be usable and useful, that you're to contribute in a unique way to advancing the kingdom of God. This is how he says that you can be useful in the kingdom of God. Now, are you ready for this awesome strategy that's going to light your ego up and make you go out and prepare and practice? Don't quarrel. What? The Lord's servant must not quarrel, be gentle to everyone, able to teach, patient, in instructing opponents with gentleness, and perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of his truth, so they will escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Uh-oh. And by the way, he's talking about people in the church. 
Just, just so we're clear. Those are the ones who have been taken captive by the devil and they're doing his will. I love how Eugene Peterson translated this verse, the, uh, the trap of the devil taken captive to do his will. Those who run errands for the devil. Have you ever asked yourself, am I the devil's errand boy? Have you ever got done with your day and thought about, here's what I said, here's what I looked at, here's what I listened to, here's what I did, here's what I posted, here's what I commented, and here's what I thought? Awesome, I ran a lot of errands for the devil today. Hey church, it's a sad and sinful day when the devil gets a Sabbath because all the Christians are doing his job for him. So you better watch out. If you've been taking captain, running his errands, you're quarrelsome, you're impatient, you're divisive, and you're masking it all under religiosity, he loves nothing better than to divide us from within, which is why I love to say in essentials, there will be unity. In non-essentials, there will be diversity, but in everything, there will be charity because we are set apart to play a part and we will be useful and usable in the kingdom of God. So how do we make sure we're useful? He just says three things. Let me just walk through those things. Again, that's not the list I would have put together, but it's Paul and he's inspired, so let's listen to him. Gentleness. You need to be gentle. You are useful in the kingdom of God when you are gentle, able to teach and patient. Now, here's what we know, men and women. We're in a quarrelsome culture, aren't we? I, do I need to give any examples or is it just embarrassing? Right? Scott once told me, he leaned over to me at a staff meeting and says, hey, why don't you preach a sermon on the fact that Christians are so easily offended? No. I'm offended that you would ask me to preach that. <laughs> and then I'm gonna post on your page. Gentle. Gentleness is power under control. We have the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Let's walk in confidence and clear conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. We have access to living water and we're living in a spiritual drought. And it is our job in every interaction with every breath to appropriately calibrate that in our conversations and our relationships. For instance, I'm an overhydrator. I drink way too much water. I live in fear of getting dehydrated. If anything is wrong with my kids physically, I ask, have you drinking enough water? Uh, it's like they're gonna talk about it at my funeral, right? There's gonna be like water bottles. Uh, you're gonna take a 40 to my memory. It's gonna be awesome, okay? But I'll tell you this, I know I'm intimately acquainted with every water fountain in this building and the ones that I hate are right outside those doors and the ones that I use most. They're two side by side, one's up, one's down. This one up is over calibrated. Every time you hit it, it shoots out, hits you in the optic nerve and it feels like a thousand little ninja stars hitting you all at once. It only took me 10 times to actually realize that. I did it 10 times and cursed it every single time. And then you go to the one that's right next to it, and guess what, it just trickles out like droopy dog. There's a boom. Like it's just apologizing for being a water fountain, right? <laughs> how many of us don't know how to calibrate the power that Christ Jesus has given us in relationships and conversations? If you watch Jesus, he's the master of imitation and challenge. That we've gotta adjust the flow of living water that is always adequate and ample in our relationships and our conversations. And God forbid the people closest to us get our leftovers. So gentleness, able to teach. You're useful when you're teaching. I already know what you're thinking. I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching, Chris. Okay, you do. So just keep talking and leave me alone. 
First of all, this is probably like one-tenth of what actually teaching is. And by the way, every educator has told you that me talking for 20 minutes is the most ineffective way for you to learn. Just so we're clear, it's all about interaction and application. Now, we need to have good content, and we're still gonna preach. It's gonna be awesome. But you need to understand that your life lived is teaching other people about Jesus. My question is, what is it saying? I... As parents, we know this. How many times do I have to tell you? Blah, 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 blah. And the kids look back and just go, well, your life has taught me something different. Able to teach. Each and every single one of you bears the responsibility to be a learner and lover of Jesus and teach it in such a way that someone else can understand. Would you like a biblical reference? It's the Great Commission. Go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to. Teaching is not just me getting up and professing those things. It's us rubbing shoulders life to life and going, here's where I'm struggling to obey Jesus, which is why you gotta find community. Third thing is, well, the question I would have for you is what is your life teaching others about Jesus? Then finally, let's be patient. You are useful when you are patient. It says patient, that God would grant them the gift of leading them to repentance and to the knowledge of this truth. Uh, anybody want to confess with me? Anybody impatient in here? Anybody that's really aware of your impatience lately? <laughs> you're, just, you're frazzled and you're frustrated? Um, I was listening to a podcast on spiritual practices of slowing down and practicing patience, which I don't recommend, by the way. And one of the things they recommended was go get in the longest line that you can find and sit there without your phone. <laughs> I thought I loved Jesus. And I, I have a problem too, man. I don't just like stick the toe in. I did it when I went to get my emissions testing at the end of the month. That's right. That's how spiritual I am. Saw the longest line and sat in it while I marked the car that was in front of me, get ahead of me and through 10 minutes earlier than me but I wasn't bitter about it. Here's what's really embarrassing. Sometimes the things I'm most impatient with are the things that God has been most patient with me. It's taken me 10 years to learn one of those important lessons and when someone doesn't get it in 10 minutes, I'm frustrated. And then anger's not about them, it's about me. God's servant must be patient. Understanding that the person in front of you is not a problem to be fixed. They are a mystery to be revealed. And you want to call God to be in your midst and pray the blood of Jesus between you so that you both might be unified in your passionate pursuit of the fact that you're set apart to play a part. Repentance is a gift. God is patient, as Peter, God is patient with you, not willing that anyone should perish but to have everyone come to repentance. Repentance is a gift from God that he does not withhold, but that people frequently refuse. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of a congregation that refuses the gift of repentance, that knows I still got a lot of growing up, to be gentle, to be able to teach, to be patient, to be usable and useful in the kingdom of God, to be set apart, to play a part, and there may never be movies or stories written about it, but it is a significant kingdom contribution. 
and that my Father in heaven sees and knows and is counting on me and counting on you to play your part. Amen. So we want to preach the Bible clearly and give your soul some space to respond. So I'll ask Jacoby to come up and just lead us through what we call listening or guided prayer. Just ask you a couple questions. And if the Lord has granted us the gift of repentance, let us not refuse it.